Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. afternoon good morning from wherever you're listening to welcome to prime time radio show this is a show that airs every wednesday at 9 p.m eastern time this is noan lovo your host broadcasting live from the great state of indiana in indianapolis and i have two of my colleagues on on the line here so this is uh, nasilele imasiku she is in uh, South Bend, Indiana, and then of course we have Brother Warren. So let me link uh, Nancy. Hey Nancy, how are you doing this evening? Hey Noah, how are you? Good evening to our listeners. How are you doing? How are you? How are the little princesses? Oh, doing good, doing good uh, from the great state of Indianapolis. So let's go to uh, Louisiana. Brother Warren, how are you doing this evening? I uh, bring greetings, uh, joy, and love uh, to from New Orleans to Nancy and Noah to you all. Uh, saying hello. 
Hello, we hi, great, Brother Warren. <laughs> we we receive those blessings and and greetings, Brother Warren. Okay. So I'm very excited to be back on the doing a continuation from last week. We were talking and discussing culture. So today we decided to zoom in or focus a little bit on one of the elements because when you look at culture, it's a very broad topic and subject. So we decided to just look at the effects of colonialism on a people. In this case, we're referring to the African continent. And of course, our discussion can also be uh, ballooned up to look at areas where uh, they have been conquest. Whenever there is a conquest of a people or a territory, a land, the people tend to change or tend to assimilate some of the elements conquering group. So we'll be discussing what changed when the Europeans made contact with our brethren on the continent. What are the effects? How does a people who have been conquered look like? So this is the angle at which we are going to be discussing. Of course, we'll be sharing different perspectives, different points of view. So to start us out, I just wanted just to throw the ball to Brother Warren to start us out and just discuss what changed, what are the effects of being conquered. Brother Warren. I like to uh, approach it from a, the psychological dimensions of culture under conquest and duress, the psychological dimensions of culture under domination and duress. We use terms like uh, colonialism and enslavement. Those were two uh, experiences African peoples have faced uh, from the African continent at least for the last 500 years. Uh, many of them, many Africans were taken away. They were, they were conquered and enslaved and taken over the Atlantic Ocean and sold as chattel, chattel meaning property. And then those Africans who were not taken over the Atlantic were colonized. Now, <clears throat> People get into debates on what is slavery, what is colonialism. So I think we should make it simple and use a word that may be well understood, dominated. The African peoples were dominated. In other words, another people came and forced their way on the African people, and the African people are still 2021 struggling and fighting to remove themselves from the pressure of what we call domination. Uh, So psychologically, then, how does that domination of one group over another, the group that's dominated, how does that affect them psychologically? How does it change the essence of what they say their culture have been? And so these are the things that I think once we investigate further, we will understand a lot of the things that we see happen in our communities 
whether in the United States, the Caribbean, or Africa, because we are still responding to that overall relationship to another people. So, for example, let's use Group A and Group B. Let's say Group A conquers Group B. Now, the relationship between Group A and Group B is not an equal relationship. In fact, it's a dysfunctional relationship because one group conquered another group. Okay, so that's a that's a social dysfunction. That that relationship of conquered and conqueror is a dysfunction. So therefore, group B, the conquer group, among itself, that dysfunctional relationship with the conqueror will filter down among themselves. So we will have dysfunctional relationships with each other underneath the situation. And so the the issue becomes that becomes a culture. What, I, what do I mean by that? Being dominated becomes a culture. The dominator, that's, that's their culture, and those that are dominated, it's called a symbiotic relationship. You have to have a servant group in order to have a master group. That becomes a culture on top of what we say the culture that existed before. That's a great way to start, Brother Warren. Yeah, so I I agree because we are a conquered people. We are being dominated, and there are consequences and there are certain behavior traits that we uh, or the people who, who which is dominated tend to exhibit. For instance, when you look at social learning theory, behavior is as a result of continuous interaction between the person and the environment. So when you look at the environment in which, for instance, we go to the example given by Brother Warren, uh, Group A conquers Group B. So the people in Group B, they have to assimilate to the demands of Group A because they have to sort of change certain things, certain way of practice, certain perceptions, certain ways of understanding uh, their environment. So in social learning theory, simply says, environmental conditions shape behavior through learning. A person's behavior in turn shapes the environment. There is a reciprocal relationship uh, in this case, uh, which is symbiotic. Uh, symbiotic, I think, for those who may not understand, simply means depending on one another. So A supports B, B supports B. So we create the environment, then, the, then we create the behavior, the behavior orientation of the people. So when you bring, a move person from point A, group A, and put them in group B, the first thing that that person has to do is to survive. They have to live under certain conditions. And not only those conditions that you live in, you, you don't just live in certain environmental conditions. Those conditions also manifest themselves in your mind, in this case, in your behavior, how you conduct yourself, how you, you relate, how you interact with others. So that sort of ties in what Brother Warren says, it's social learning theory. So before we go any further, I just wanted to uh, sort of throw the ball to Nancy. Nancy, okay. looking at what Brother Warren has shared, a people who are conquered, 
what do you think changes when a people has been captured and conquered? Well, uh, thank you so much, Noah. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Warren, for having started us on that uh, uh, critical point. So uh, when I was looking at culture, actually, uh, you know, uh, the cultural assimilation. So just to answer your question, the cultural assimilation comes in um, when when a person or people or just uh, a creature is put in a different environment, then you start adopting to what is going on in that environment. So uh, in regards to the African-Americans, not only did they suffer slavery, they also suffered uh, colonialism. It's not the African-Americans, but those in Jamaica and uh, Haiti and all the Caribbean. So they suffered the double consequences of slavery, coming from leaving their own continent, Africa, and coming with the little culture that they had into the Caribbean, and then they were colonized by the British. So I can't imagine the consequences. When I was in Jamaica and I could see that, in, in, you know, they had the, the British accent, they loved to drink tea, they had to assimilate to the British way of doing things. Now, I can't, I can't imagine them, you know, trying to, to go back to the African way of doing things, the cultural way, and also assimilating to the British ways. So uh, basically what I can say is kind of like, I'll give an example of the or the chameleon, when you put it in a different environment, it changes color. So if you put it in a flowery place, the chameleon will change color to the flowers. So you adopt to the environment that you live in. So even us, me and you, Noah, we left Zambia a long time ago. We may feel we still have the Zambian culture in us, but when we go to Zambia, clearly those people will be able to see that there are cultural traits that have changed in the way we behave, in the way we dress, mm-hmm. in the way we... We just behave generally. So that's a very, very critical uh, question, and that's a very critical point to start from. And I know um, towards the end of the discussion last uh, week, Brother Warren uh, brought up certain questions to say how does one's culture prepares one to face the challenges for the world? How does one group of a certain culture interact together, especially when the other group's culture was perceived threatening? You know, so I think um, much of our problems as black people, as Africans, as African-Americans, they come from the slavery time and also the colonial, the colonialism time. Because I looked at Africa, I know um, moving forward, we'll look at Africa specifically, you know, um, what happened African before the white people went there and after colonialism. So back to you. Yeah, thank you. So we started the show on a very high note today. We just wanted to set the stage. So, uh, Brother Warren, can you sort of break it down, uh, the psychological effects? Yes, yes. Um, Group A, let's go back to the examples of Group A and Group B. Why did Group A conquer Group B? Simple, because Group B had something that Group A needed for their life force. So when Group A conquers Group B, it will not let Group B go because its life force depends on sucking the resources, whether it's physical or cultural, from Group B. Now, 
while it is conquered group B, group A starts its own process of psychological conditioning on group B. It creates propaganda so group B could believe. Group B is then therefore conditioned not to see its own resources to accumulate power. Group B is conditioned to feel that it needs group A. Group B becomes psychologically dependent on group A and even sees group A as almost a godlike force. Now, group B is not a monolith. That is, there are elements in group B that wants to break out of this uneven relationship with group A. But there's elements in group B that are so believing and conditioned to obey the will of group A, they will go challenge any other elements in group B who don't want to be servants of group A. So what happens is group A really is not all what it projects itself to be. You see, because group A only uses the sophistication of violent force and deception to maintain control over group B. In fact, group A numerically is not even as much as group B. Group B outnumbers group A. But group A has, over the process of centuries, perfected its art of sophisticated weaponry and the most important, the use of deception to fool group B. That's psychological warfare, they call it. So when somebody goes to group B and say, hey, look, you're not supposed to be in this uneven relationship with group A. Members of group B, some of them become afraid when they hear that kind of talk because they have been fooled to believe that they are inferior. That's the psychological component. Believing in untruths, believing in manufactured lies that group A has been manufacturing for centuries and have become skillful at the art of deception. Let me give an example of the art of deception and how devastating it could be on a conquering group. In the North America, the first cultural group was what we call the Native Americans. They had various tribal groups. But one of the things that Native Americans suffer from today is alcoholism. They're what we call reservations in the United States. That is, communities that were federally designated as uh, places where Native Americans live. I- I've had a chance to visit some reservations. They have high rates of alcoholism. Now, how was it that alcohol get introduced to the Native Americans? Well, I've created my own scenario of probably how it happened. The white man goes to the chief, and he says to the chief, he says, you know, chief, I have some uh, some fire water, some spirits. And the chief said, uh, well, we have abundant water here, and, and we have our own spirits. Oh, no, no, chief, your spirits ain't like my spirits. 
And the chief said, what do you mean? So the white man takes the alcohol and he takes a sip. See what, see what the white man knows. He knew just how much alcohol you can take before you become drunk. The Native American didn't. They were not used to that. So the white man takes a sip. The chief takes a sip. He goes to the chief because everybody else in the group will do whatever the chief does. So the white man takes another sip, sip of the of the whiskey. The chief takes another sip. Next thing you know, the chief is on the ground drunk. And then everybody else that drank the whiskey, because the chief drank the whiskey, they wind up drunk. So what do the white man do? He walks out of the way and looks through the window, the metaphoric window, and look at all the confusion he created without even shooting the gun. These things have happened over and over again to Group B, conquered by Group A. What is Group A's goal? Group A's goal is to be able to dominate Group B forever without using force. That is, Group B must believe the toxic deception that Group A has created that they will volunteer to keep themselves dominated by Group A. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so if you are just joining us, you are listening to Primetime Radio Show. You are listening to, uh, that was Brother Warren sharing uh, the psychological effects of uh, people being conquered. Because what has happened to our people is that we find ourselves in this very moment uh, right now listening to the show. It's because our mind have been altered. Our perception, our reality is not real. So the word reality comes from the word real, to be real. So we live in a fantasy world, and there are forces and powers that are very much embedded in ensuring that our minds are not working for our own good. So we are no, sharing I some thoughts. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, I want, to give a, we really want to give another example of how that works also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, go ahead. Continue? Yes, go ahead. When you look at the United look at the United States in particular, it's not just the United States. You have a black population that might be about fifty million black people. One of the issues black people in the United States in a general degree have an Africa phobia. There's a fear of Africa. Why? Because the propaganda that we've been fed all of our lives shows Africa in a terrible, desperate light. And so when you talk to some black people about Africa, some of them reaction become angry. They will say, I'm not an African. I was born here. I've never been to Africa. That's one reaction you get. Another reaction you get, well, I'm mixed. I have white blood in me and I have Native American blood in me. So I'm not an African. It's because of the intense propaganda, and a lot of continental Africans must understand this when they come across these attitudes in African Americans. It is not African American's fault 
who always articulate these backwards perspectives of Africa, but that's what we've been fed on television, in the media. And it's very interesting. So, so here goes the point. We, that is black people, are presented with the image of white people being so wealthy and black people, particularly in Africa, being so poor. But you know, the reality is, it is what African people have that makes the white people wealthy and rich. So really, they are really the poor people and the African people who are walking on top of some of the most valued mineral resources on the planet are really the wealthy people. I did this with some young people at church one time. I had to speak for a black history program at a church. And I said, okay, young people, everybody take your phones, and I want you to Google this. The richest people in world history. I said, Google it. And everybody, when they Googled it, they came across one name, Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa was an African king, a real African king, who was reported in even Forbes magazine. And we talking about he lived like in the 12, 1300s, 12, 1300s, and present day, what is Mali? He was king of the Malian Empire. And he was so wealthy when he went to Mecca to make his pilgrimage. Because, see, he converted to Islam. He went to Mecca to make a pilgrimage. On his way back, he stopped in Egypt. He dropped so much gold in Egypt, the gold, became, the value of the gold became less and less because of, I mean, that's a true story. That's very well documented. So here you have a black man that has been viewed even today by the white people as having been the richest man in world history. But the image we have been given of Africa is that it's poor. Well, that's a purpose. That's on purpose. That's to make the black populations in the United States and the Caribbean and Latin America distance themselves from Africa so it makes the possibility of a working relationship maybe impossible. That's the plan of the group A over the group B that they conquered. Exactly. You are listening to Primetime Radio Show. This is Noah Novo alongside Nancy and Brother Warren. So we're going to take a short break and listen to a song that uh, sort of captures uh, what we are discussing here. I know most of you have listened to this song uh, for, for the longest, but you have never really, uh, I am willing to bet that you've never really listened to the relics. So as you listen to this song, I want you to open your eyes and ears so that you can see and you can hear. So this okay. is a song done by Stevie Wonder called superstitious and we'll discuss a little bit when we get back so again listen very very carefully some of you you might think stevie wonder is blind but i'm going to attest stevie wonder is not blind listen to this song (laughs) 
Superstitious by Stevie Wonder. So I grew up listening to that song. Uh, usually you just listen to a song without really listening. So that song simply talks about when you believe in things that you do not understand, you suffer. This is primarily one of the reasons that I think we find ourselves in this problem as a people. So when you believe in things that you don't understand, the question is what are the things that you believe in? So you have to make a distinction. To believe something is to imagine, to guess, to hope. Now, when you know something, which means you can prove. So as a people, we have been indoctrinated, we have been decultured to believe and to accept certain uh, principles or certain doctrines, certain beliefs from other people, and we have forgone our own. So in this song, Stephen Wonder simply talks about when you believe in things that you don't understand, you suffer. Superstitious ain't the way. So I know I wanted actually to play this song even the previous time when we were talking about religion and things like that, because that's a very, very appropriate song. Now, how does this relate to what we're discussing today? We are discussing culture, because culture shapes a people and also helps the people come up with solutions to their problems. So we're going to shift gears a little bit here. So before we shift gears, let me set the stage. The environment conditions, the environmental conditions shape behavior through learning. A person's behavior in turn shapes the environment. To predict behavior, we need to know how the characteristics of the individual interact with the characteristics of the environment. So what Brother Warren has been sharing so far is that when a people, uh, we go back to group A and B, when group A conquers group B, group B is going to be told what to do. Their way of life is going to change because they are under dominion of group A. So when you look at our African people, when the Europeans came in, a number of things change. For instance, let me give a, a, a specific example. The clothing that we wear as a people, that's not how our people dressed during that time. So you look at the people in the Middle East, they have sort of maintained that their way of dressing. We dress uh, following after our Europeans, our, our colonial masters. They drink tea in England. We drink tea. Look at the, uh, the language that we speak. We speak English right now. This is an, uh, as, a, as a result of being dominated. We speak English because it's a language which was spoken by the, uh, the people in England when they came to our, to our continent. So when we talk about uh, people being dominated, things change. Now we're looking at how did things change? What are the effects? What are the consequences? Brother Warren was sharing the psychological effects. This is why uh, we find ourselves in this situation. We are in as a people. We are not united as one. When we look at authority, a symbol of authority, we look to the other people. 
So we are discussing a culture. So now we're going to uh, throw the ball to Nancy. Nancy, in terms of our culture, I think uh, is, uh, let me uh, make it just a general statement and then you can come in. So when we look at the way we uh, act as a people, everything that we have now is as a result of it being given to us uh, indirectly or directly by our colonial masters. Now, how do you think our ancestors, if they were to wake up, would behave or would act? Would they be happy with uh, us as a people? Because uh, last time I mentioned, uh, uh, no, no let, let me not give that other example. But just speak in terms of where we are as a people, Nancy. What are your thoughts in terms of the culture that we have assimilated as a people? Because now we are no longer African people. Can, can you speak in terms of just like what we have today compared to what it was? Wow. Well, uh, thank you so much for that question. So uh, I was actually laughing when you said uh, what would happen to the ancestors if they woke up today. They would well, die the shock. They would be. They would be <laughs> There will be rude awakening, okay? <laughs> so uh, I think uh, looking at this uh, topic today, like what you said, what are the effects of colonialism on the people's culture? So uh, we have to look at the history of colonialism. Where did it start from and why did these Europeans go to Africa? So um, when we look at pre-colonialism and post-colonialism, why did these people go to Africa? Basically... They were uh, uh, they went to Africa specifically for economic, um, economic, political, and religious uh, reasons, as the New World would say, for God, God, and gold and glory. So, um, so uh, when they went to Africa, really because of these reasons, they had to. We had a big. I would say our colonialism had a big impact on how on the African lives. So our ancestors died a long time ago, you know. Looking, looking at the way they were, uh, they were living pre, in pre-colonialism, if we go back to the bushmen, the hunting and gathering of food, you know, um, where societies relied primarily on, on um, inclusive hunting, wild animals, fishing, gathering wild fruits. They never knew. I don't even know whether they even cooked. I know they made fires out of, their own ways of doing things. So uh, we have to look at the human evolution from that time and look at what happened. Why did these people go to Africa? Because of those uh, reasons that I mentioned. So until then, we're talking about humans, when they began to domesticate plants, animals about 10,000 years ago, all human societies were hunter-gatherers. I'm getting an ankle. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear that too. Yeah, so uh, we have to tackle this uh, discussion okay. yeah. from so that I, level. I think we, yeah, we're getting an echo, Nancy, so I think let me ask you to... Let me, let me uh, hear Let me, call, let me call hang in up and call, and call out. back. It could be me. Oh, okay, let's see. Okay. Yeah, I'm... Okay, so Nancy, okay, yeah, let's see. Go ahead, Nancy, and see if maybe it's good now. 
Yes, uh, so uh, talking from uh, the, you know, the hunter-gatherers then, and are looking at the types of shelters and how they started their fires and the type of clothing they had, and also the medicines they had then, and the way they handled life and death, you know, compared to when the European came in with their own practices onto the African people. So... I really liked uh, the class that I did, the cultural anthropology, which is the study of the past, Mm -hmm. present societies, and the language, traditions, customs, and behaviors that are both similar or different from one to another. So anthropology, really, is a study where they discover people. So there are still Mm -hmm. certain groups of people that are not yet discovered. They live in the mountains somewhere. There's a new group of people that were discovered actually in in, um, Australia. So we had to watch a video of when those white people, settlers, went there. So uh, before then, those guys lived like the, um, the Bushmen, okay? They were not mm-hmm. exposed to the modern world. They were, hunting, uh, they were hunter-gatherers. They made fires from nowhere. They just dressed in uh, uh, visivas, you know, like not really clothes, just like uh, where they are hiding in the front, perennial areas, you know. Uh, they used uh, folk medicines. So until when a white settler went there and trying to transform the lives of those people, okay, transforming in a modern way, not because they were not content. They were content in the way they were living. They did not have to know a language. They they didn't have to look for a job. They didn't have to have money to buy food. So they were content. They were able to just live in within the natural resources they had there. They were able to deliver babies under the trees using folk medicines. Not until the Muzungu, the white person, went there and transformed those people. Now they started having challenges. Now they had to keep up with the Western world. Now they had to start learning the English language. Now they had to start working to make money in order for them to buy food. So they were actually very, very mm-hmm. upset. So uh, that's when I looked at, uh, you know, the differences between folk medicine and also uh, modern medicine. So the same white settlers started now learning from the locals of how they managed to prevent some of the uh, illnesses without modern medicine. So they started stealing their practices and bringing it here into the lab to modernize the medicine from the knowledge they learned from those people. You know? Mm-hmm. They didn't need any modern medicine. They relied on folk traditional medicines. They've lived. So the way these white people went there and just distracted their way of life was so painful to watch them now starting to struggle, to look for money, to know the language, to start looking for jobs. They didn't have to live like that. So uh, uh, like the question that you asked me about if the ancestors were to wake up, our ancestors, mm-hmm. they were content in the way they lived before the white settlers, okay? Before colonialism. Mm-hmm. We had our way of living. We didn't have to have jobs. We didn't have to have, uh, what, modern medicines. Even when I was growing up, my cousins were born under the trees there in the village. We didn't have modern mm-hmm. medicines. But here I am. I've never even been sick here in the United States, okay? Mm-hmm. So I think, so, uh, so, so uh, answering the question of uh, the effects of colonialism on the African continent, I would say it has, opened, it has so many uh, adverse, uh, you know, 
um, well, certain things that were happened, you know. Uh, they opened up for a lot of diseases. They impacted the way the African people lived because uh, the economic policies were now adopted by the Europeans who destroyed the colonies rather than help them. Africans were... Africa has now been damaged economically, politically, and culturally. You know, African mm-hmm. traditional lifestyles and culture have been destroyed totally. Because uh, after, I think, co- um, colonialism, um, I think the Africans wanted to bring back the cultures, but I think it was even harder to bring back the, you know, the indigenous African practices that were being practiced then. So that's all I can say for now. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Brother Warren, can you yeah. talk a little bit about the effects of uh, colonialism and how uh, we transition into what can we do now that we know that there are certain elements that don't work for our good? How do we empower ourselves? How do we redeem ourselves? Well, I want to. I want to uh, uh, also uh, on what Nancy was saying uh, is is is. is I want to address this. When we look at when we do a panoramic survey of the African continent prior to what we call European incursions, we find whether it's in the northern part, the southern part, the eastern part the central part or the western part of the continent, we find very organized, sophisticated states. Many African cultures were urban cultures. So if we take, for example, the kingdoms of Angola and the Congo, these were what are referred to as urban centers. They were involved in vast trade. They had trading networks. If we look at the Yoruba states in what is present-day Nigeria, the Hausa, we looked that they were trading across the Sahara. Many of their products wound up in Europe. Uh, Eastern Africa, the Swahili states, we, we see that they were on par, if not advanced, than the Europeans in establishing sophisticated states where you had different class structures, class, not in the sense of European class, but you had caste structures, you had the priestly classes, you had the fishermen, you had those who, like for the fishermen, they understood the water, they knew how to build boats and travel far distances. You had the warrior classes, your soldiers, the military group. You had your blacksmiths, those who did leather, those who did agriculture, those who were the cattle herders. So we see African societies are sophisticated, complex, organized with their own indigenous languages that are able to uh, articulate the complexities of the universe, of the environment, of society, women. We see the role of women. So I want to say that because a lot of times we are given the image of Africa as a simple place. Now, that may have been the process after it was conquered and colonized. We begin to see a lot of these 
societies dwindle away, shrink away, the slave trade, people being captured. It's really Africa under the slave trade and colonialism really was like an atomic bomb being dropped on the continent. If you can recall the, the atomic bombs being dropped on Japan during World War II and the devastation mm-hmm. that caused, well, the slave trade and the colonialism was such in Africa, such that many people have forgotten, not all people, but many people have forgotten how their societies were well organized. Europeans documented it very well, how they were impressed when they went into these African societies. They even admitted that some of the cities were larger than the cities in Europe, how they had walls, earthen walls built, how clean the cities were. The Europeans documented that stuff very well, and I think we need to look back at that in history. But to your point, uh, I want to say this. There are two quotes to, to address the question you asked, Noah. Dr. Mm-hmm. Carter G. Woodson, who was an African-American educator, wrote a book in 1933 entitled The Miseducation of the Negro. And the book really was a stinging critique of the educated class of black people. And this is what he said in the quote. I quote him, rather. If you control a man's thinking... You do not have to worry about his actions. You do not have to tell him to stand here or go yonder. He will find his proper place and will stay in it. You do not need to send him to the back door. He will go without being told. In fact, if there is no back door, he will cut one for his special benefit. His education makes it necessary. And what he means by his education makes it necessary is the way that he was trained. He will go and cut a back door for himself when there is no back door. Now, that book was written in 1933. So black people under domination, we're miseducated. We're going in an area (laughs) In other words, we're going, staying places where we're not being told. In other words, we're taking a back seat. We're taking an inferior position even when we're not told to do so. And we go to the extent, some of us that are miseducated, to even cut a back door for ourselves when there is no back door. But then Marcus Garvey comes along and he offers a solution for that. He says, Marcus Garvey says, if you have no confidence in self, you are twice defeated in the race of life. With confidence, you have won even before you have started. I hope those two quotes kind of address the question you, you shot to me there, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, definitely, definitely, Brother Warren. So I think to that, what I would add is I think because uh, one of the things that I've noticed with our uh, African people is that we do not understand the spirituality and religion, because we assume that it's one and the same, but we, we had a show uh, the previous week, so if you haven't listened to that, we encourage you to uh, go back or request, reach out to Nancy or myself, uh, or Brother Warren will be able to share the previous shows. So the Bible is one book which our people uh, respect so much. So in the Bible, it talks about what does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and yet to lose his soul. 
So most of us, we don't really have a good understanding of that. So what the Bible simply talks about is that we may have gone as far as, as much as we have gone in running after everything else. But what does it profit a person to run after the whole world to lose your soul? Because your, your soul connects you to your consciousness. God speaks to you through your spirit, and the body connects you to the earth. So what does it profit the person to gain the whole world yet to lose your soul? So we as a people, we have lost ourselves because we have lost our connection to ourselves. Our consciousness has been altered. So when we have accepted, when we have been in, uh, bombarded by all kinds of information, this information is designed to dissuade us from our natural state of living. So this is why the Bible talks about what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet to lose your soul. Mostly when you look around our people, we have lost ourselves. We are simply running around to please other people. We want to do all kinds of stuff to be like our oppressors or our colonizers and things like that. So everything that we see uh, happening is that, just like Brother Warren just shared, we do not have to have someone to direct us. We have been cultured or decultured in such a way that we are working against our own good. This is why we see in our local small communities, people are tired. They feel bothered when you ask them to be part of certain groups and things like that. When you ask people to participate in economic empowerment programs, they feel like they are, they are going to sleep. They feel so tired. But if you ask them, oh, there's a man of God coming from uh, this place, and they'll be, they, then it, they, they feel energized. So we have lost our soul as a people because we do not connect with our roots. You can never be an African in the true sense of the word as an African person, but yet you identify yourself in all elements of uh, uh, the other people. When you look at the word mulungu, in Zambia there's a word called we saw mulungu. It rhymes with muzungu. They are one and the same. When you look at the God in the image of another people, if the Bible talks about uh, you are created in the image of God, then why do you have a picture of Jesus that doesn't look like you? That is intentionally put there to inculcate in your head that when you see this type of people, you have that reverence. This is why most of our people, they have this affinity because at the back of their mind, they have been trained that when you see this type of people, it represents good. Everything about black person represents bad. So I just wanted to throw in that point that even the Bible talks about we have lost our soul. How do we lose our soul? Because we have lost our connection to our source. So uh, for those who are just joining us, you are listening to Primetime Radio Show. So I think at this point, we've got to go ahead and open up the, the phone line. So if you have a question, 
So let's do this. If you have a question, you have a comment, press one on your keypad, then I'll get an alert that you want to say something. So on your keypad, you can press one, then we'll get an alert, then we'll open up the mic for you. So at least we are trying to cut down on the background noise. So, again, Brother Warren, can you speak a little bit while we are waiting for our uh, listeners to chip in? So, can you talk in terms of um, how do we redeem ourselves going forward as a people? Uh, I'm going to say this and then get to your question. The Bible is very instructive in learning strategies are even giving a better understanding of our condition. The children of Israel, Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. You know, I mean, so the point is group A does not want to let group B go because (laughs) group A receives its sustenance, its life power force from group B. And I think that's important mm-hmm. for us to know that, that our situation in terms of going around in circles, because that's basically what's been happening since the end of slavery mm-hmm. and since the end of colonialism. We're kind of going around in circles because we often have these flare-ups where we, we identify abuse at the hands of Group 8, right? We have these flare-ups over time, uh, whether it's, let's say, police brutality against blacks in the U.S., or let's say if it's French troops, <laughs> you know, or some sort of uh, trade deal going bad, or some sort of uh, uneven uh, agreement between, let's say, the U.S., Great Britain, and an African country. We have these flare-ups that show this relationship is not an even relationship. So the the answer to your question is we must make a part of our culture the quest for knowledge. That is, <laughs> trying to know should be like prayer for us every day. In other words, every day, every morning we wake up, and after we say a prayer to God for waking us up, we must seek to know how the world works. There used to be a soap opera in the United States called As the World Turns. <laughs> we <laughs> should seek knowledge about how the world turns. Now, I'm going to give three quotes, and I want to take a, take a disclaimer. I'm not a Muslim. I don't, I don't practice Islam. I was raised a Christian, and I, 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 still, I still go by the Christian faith. So I want to, but however, Because I seek knowledge everywhere, you can find wisdom from many different sources. So these are three sayings from the Prophet Muhammad of Islam. Now, you don't have to be a Muslim to see the wisdom in these sayings. And this is is the first, this is one saying, and, and and the Muslims call the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, they call it the Hadith. So these are some of the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad as recorded by writers later after the Prophet Muhammad's life. So one quote is this, he who knows his own self knows God. 
That's powerful. He who knows mm-hmm. his own self knows God. Another quote is, he who leaves home in search of knowledge walks in the path of God. How many of us go through life every day, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to know. Even some of the things you might be saying, Noah, some people will shut it down. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, this yeah. quote oh, says, yeah. he who leaves home in search of knowledge walks in the path of God. And this is my favorite one. I like this one. One learned man is harder on the devil than a thousand ignorant worshipers. How many times exactly. are we among how many times are we among a thousand ignorant worshipers? So I, I think that we must, you can't we really can't do anything unless you know something. Exactly. Words, you can't go and attempt to make uh, a cake unless you know about the process of baking. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? You're only gonna exactly. make a mess. You know, just make a mess. And so many of us, we're trying to go about. And one, let's talk about so-called leaders. A lot of times we hard on African leaders. African leaders are like everybody else. They don't know either. They just happen mm-hmm. to be on a what? Higher plane of existence in the society. Exactly. But they don't know. They don't really have any knowledge either. So like trying to make a take, if you don't know how to bake, they're going to make a mess. So we must knowledge. And I think that the more knowledge you seek, the better understanding. So you say, well, Brother Warren, how you, how you, what do you recommend? I recommend we do something simple like reading. Well, what do you recommend we read? Well, there are many good works that prophets, when I say prophets, I'm not talking about prophets from the Bible. There were people mm-hmm. who actually lived the experience we're living who left wisdom. I recommend the book by the late Chancellor Williams, who was a professor at Howard University in Washington, D.C. He wrote a book called The Destruction of Black Civilization. And the subtitle is uh, Issues of a Race from 4500 B.C. to 2018. He wrote that book in the early 1970s. The Destruction of Black Civilization is a great issue of a race from 4500 B.C. to 2018. The basic simple is this. What he does is he attempts to use the case study format of history by identifying several African societies, looking at where their strengths were, looking at where their weaknesses were, looking at where their leaders in those societies fell short, looking at what happened when they came across foreigners, and then he gives, after, after, after his assessment of what has been the, to see what he does is he tries to get people of African descent to see themselves as a people. Because you see group A, see group A conquers group B. Group B, they got all kind of identities in group B, all kind of tribal groups and identities under group B. But what they don't understand is Group A see them all as the same. Exactly. Chancellor Williams Williams in the back of the book does something very important. He offers a solution. He gives a recipe on how to organize. 
It's a very, very powerful book. I never forget I was coming back uh, from Ethiopia, and I was in Heathrow Airport in London. I, I, was, I had a long layover, and I was sleeping. And when I woke up, <laughs> there was a man across from me with a copy of The Destruction of Black Civilization reading it. Mm-hmm. When I got into a conversation with him, he was a pastor, and he was from Ghana, and he was reading mm-hmm. that book. So this is how we start the process of redeeming ourselves, by countering, countering the propaganda and the lies of Group A, by mm-hmm. listening to and studying the observations of people who have been part of Group B, and who have assessed the situation and who have spoken to other members in Group B and say, hey, this is the deal, and this is what we must do to get out of this situation. Well said, Brother Warren. Yeah. So uh, let's go. I know we have, uh, we have the lines open. So let's go to Mr. Kelvin. Kelvin, uh, you are through. And then we'll go to, I think there's a, the other line ending in 7244. So, Mr. Kelvin, go ahead with your comment, uh, observation, or question. Oh, yes, thank you, and uh, good evening. Uh, today I'm not on base, I'm somewhere else, but technology has made it easy for me to be online, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Following the theme for today, which is uh, the influence of the Europeans as they came into Africa, I would say they've been great influence on our culture in terms of, uh, I think what they, what happened was that they instilled a lot of fear at the time when they, they landed on our coasts. And that really had a great impact even uh, on a, it's actually a long-term impact where we see ourselves to be, the people to apologize is like somebody steps on your foot instead of you uh, taking up the apology from that person that then you say you are sorry for putting your foot in his way, you know? <laughs> That's exactly what happened between the black man and the, the white person. And we're still doing that. Uh, it's now said uh, the black man is the only person who goes in an institution, instead of working and concentrating on his assignment, he keeps on repairing other people's faults. Mm-hmm. Because w- 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 that was instilled in us to observe. We look at, other than doing exactly what we are supposed to do to advance, we don't create. We only repair. And that's uh, what really erodes our culture. We used to make our own uh, tools. We used to make our own cooking pots. Uh, I think Nancy asked whether a black man used to cook. The first person who cooked a meal was a black man. White mm. people used to eat raw meat. So that's how much we took ourselves backwards because we didn't recognize ourselves. Like I think in the introductory part, there was an issue where it's been said uh, uh We've been uh, we've been copying we've we, we've copied the ideas of our oppressors, other than advancing on our own programs that we, we uh, type of life that we've always had. We had our own life. We we used to hunt, uh, and we used to do to dress in a certain way. 
But culture was eroded because of uh, coping, and uh, the the white man created borders, which were boundaries, uh, Mm -hmm. in, uh, in a sense that the unity among those people on the continent should not be there because once you, 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 you are united, you are able to conquer. So to reduce your numbers, they draw the boundaries so that you don't recognize each other. Then you are outnumbered because now you are just a, seg- a segment of people fighting a bigger unit because your neighbors will say, how, how should I involve myself in that affair? It's not my business. Well, I can leave yeah, some well, time for other people to make a contribution. Thank you very much for allowing me. Yes, thank sir. you, thank yes, you, sir. thank you, sir. So let's go to this. Uh, I think the large phone number is seven two four four. Area code eight six four. Yes, sir. Peace, and I'm going to greet everyone in the African greeting hotel for Lafia. Peace, Black Power to all my brothers and sisters. Uh, how is everybody Tashay. doing? A wheel Okay. Uh, I, I just wanted to tell into what the brothers was just saying. Um, uh, definitely the last brother. I definitely pretty much wholeheartedly agree with him. And also the other brother as well. Just a slight difference um, because from where I'm coming from and what, how I see and understand things or what our big issue is right now, it has everything to do with African spirituality. And African spirituality is something that has now been copied. It's now been stolen, right? You know, and, and mm-hmm. been placed in, in inside religion across the world. Because as the, the the young man that was just speaking, we as Africans, as black people, I asked this to Renoko Rashidi, which out of the people that I know personally of ever came in contact with, he's a person that has gone to over 120 some odd countries and consistently does that to look for the greatness of black folk can greatness to study that. And I asked this man, out of all the places that he's gone, what's the most, what's the place that he found the African wheel being cultivated to the highest level? And he told me nowhere outside of the Nile Valley. Going back into what the young man Warren, I think, was saying earlier, and this is the way that a lot of our people are. Now, and I'm not saying nothing against anybody on the line, but now we hold our heart and our hearts very dear. Where ancestral mm-hmm. veneration used to be the topic of the day. When you go back and you look at the walls of Kemet, you look at our ancient uh, traditions and cultures, ancestral veneration was the most important thing. Now we said to heck with our ancestors. We forgot about our ancestors. We forgot about our connection. I need to know our, con- our connection. And now we've accepted <laughs> this European white Jesus. This is a reality, and we accepted him through the same thing that kind of gave us our understanding of God, of good and evil, and the devil. This is, I know I got my perception from the church, which was, you know, we had the Bible there, and of course, uh, with the theology of Jesus, it was placed there. But what we find here, even looking at the first, one of the first slave ships that came over here was called the good ship Jesus. So before mm-hmm. us as Africans could actually speak English and know what a G-O-D was, because that's the only way we can say God, is by the English language, right? So that means before exactly. we had God, what did us as Africans have? What was our understanding, which we lost 
So now it's not um, uncommon to see our brothers and sisters lifting up praises, singing up praises high to a white ancestor, thinking about we're crying. We're crying. I've been there. We pour our hearts out. We give our all. We go into our pockets. We give money, over a trillion dollars, to a white European. You understand? We die in the name of this white European that never existed. This is a reality. And when we go back and understand what our ancestors, what we call juju, they call voodoo, they call it particle magic. You understand it? They call it hekka. Mm-hmm. This is what we are. When you don't control the one, you are going to be the wanderer. When you don't control the flow of things, now you're going to be trapped up in somebody else's flow. So we are understanding now, trying to break the chains uh, loose. So what we are here to see, and, and even identifying with God or identifying with the creator, not all the time the creator is good, right? Sometimes within my art, what we understand, if the scales are, are imbalanced, some negative actions need to happen in order to balance the scales. I've been in that situation myself. Sometimes you need to get kicked in your butt in order to understand the importance of standing up straight. And this is what exactly. our people are doing. We're getting exactly. killed by the police. We're getting killed by the police, right? We're saying, please, Mr. White Man, don't kill me. But on the other end, we're singing rap songs about killing each other. I'm going to kill this. I'm going to kill this. Or I'm going to go. You understand? And it's nobody's mm-hmm. fault except for our own. Jesus is not going to, and I'm not saying nothing to, to anybody. We as African people, we have to stop waiting on these creations made by these outsiders and foreigners to come and save us. No white answer could ever solve African problems. You understand? So I think once we start communicating into that and going back into Mm -hmm. our historical content, looking and appreciating that what our ancestors left for us, where we still can go marvel it on the Nile Valley, only until we appreciate that can we move forward. Until then, we don't need to move forward. We only we only fitting for trash because we don't appreciate and lift up what our ancestors left us with. We only spit on it. So I'm sorry, I yield, family. <laughs> no, we appreciate we appreciate you sharing. Yeah. So you're listening to Primetime Radio Show. We are on the air every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and we're discussing the effects of colonialism. So. Uh, I, I know most of what the previous speaker just shared. I know most of our people may not be up to uh, up to date with some of the te- terminology and the names you were sharing. But of course, this is why we do this show so that we empower our people. We expose our people to new information that may not be readily available to our folks. So we greatly appreciate the two brothers who shared. So now, connecting it, just bringing it back home, Nancy, can you share a little bit about the impact of uh, what, this, the, the condition that we are in? Can you share a little bit about the impact of this uh, domination? So, uh, anyway, uh, thank you so much for the last uh, two people that uh, contributed, Mr. Kapunjin Panga and the last gentleman. I know he did mention about that um, the problems that we face in Africa can only be solved by the Africans. That's a very, very powerful point, and I know that uh, yes. the past president That's true. 
President Obama really emphasized on that because I think uh, the African people, when they saw that Obama was the president here, and they thought he would be there to solve their own problems. But when, when he went there and held meetings, he told them that the problems that you face today in Africa, they can be only stopped by the African people. So uh, as you can see now, like uh, when I was uh, preparing for this uh, segment today, I was looking at um, uh, the problems that the African continent is facing today, major problems like corruption, the, the, the dependent syndrome, tribal and religious mm -hmm. conflict, poverty, hunger, disease outbreaks, high uh, unemployment levels and poor infrastructure and also poor medical facilities. But I know Africa has gone a long, long way. And I think in the past um, decade, maybe these uh, problems are kind of like uh, getting better now. So uh, the continent has made um, remarkable progress and has embarked on a road to a brighter future. So I believe that Africa is no longer a dark continent. And that's why even when I talk to my colleagues here that the Africa we knew then is no longer the Africa that we knew then. But then um, I know that colonialism had a very great impact on the African continent. But then uh, how do we move on? Because we will never go back to the way things used to be in pre-colonialism. So we have to to um, appreciate what we have right now. And then uh, I also looked at what the positive effects of colonialism, if they are there at all. And I know that when they came there, they introduced a lot of schools. And that's why we are able to communicate in English today. And also they hmm. built a lot of, um, they kind of like at least improved the infrastructure. Uh, they also brought Christianity and also the boundaries that Mr. Tampinjimanga was talking about, you know. So uh, we just have to just appreciate what we have now and look <laughs> like where do we move forward? How do we move forward from the problems that we have? Because now we are trying to catch up to the Western world as in uh, the uh, um, infrastructures um, and the schools and, 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 you know. And you know? Everything else that's going on. You know what? I'm getting an echo. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a little bit of an echo. Yeah. So uh, th thank you, Nas, for for sharing. As you are getting situated with the phone there. So there, there's a book, of course. If you uh, you are listening, Chancellor Williams did a, a, a case of case. It's a collection of case studies. So we encourage our people to look up the book, The Destruction of an African Civilization by Chancellor Williams. And also there are other heroes, there, like uh, Brother Warren mentioned, uh, these are what we may call prophets, prophets like Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Ben, so, and Ray Hagan. These are people who have put some material out there, and we just need to, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, we just have to get together. Uh, for instance, like having discussions like this, we are empowering our people so that at least our people are informed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So, of course, when you look at religion, it's one of the tools which, of course, the, the Europeans used to capture our people's uh, intellect, our minds. So we may be... Uh, physically free, but mentally we are sort of captured and we are going in circles. So as we conclude, we appreciate the new brother sharing and being, uh, I'll reach out to you, I've got your number, so I'll reach out uh, uh, after the show. So as we conclude, Brother Warren, can you summarize, because we have, I think, 10 minutes, 
So can you summarize uh, as we conclude what what is the take-home message that you want to put across? Well, I, I think Nancy said something that's very important. We can't go back to how it was before colonialism, okay? <laughs> culture, culture is not static. Culture adjusts itself to meet the challenges and demands of the present and the future. So African culture is, is evolving. So what we call African culture is not static. And let me tell you why we don't want to go back to African culture before the European, because we'll wind up in the same situation we were in today. Mm-hmm. African culture before the European came was not equipped to deal with what the European brought. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we, we don't want to go to how it was before because it didn't have mechanisms in place to deal with the deception, the brute force that the European brought. So African culture is an evolving culture to meet the demands of the present and the future. And I also want to say this, and, and I'll conclude, when we talk about African culture, we must look at a myriad of African cultures besides just ancient Egypt. We must look at the cultures across the continent that were of genius and that had lessons that have lessons to be learned. Right now I'm learning I'm learning Yoruba, which is a language of southwestern Nigeria with possibly fifty million speakers in Nigeria and those abroad. I just happen to choose that particular African language at the moment. But other people should try to learn other African languages. You can learn a language some languages of Zambia, like Lozi, Tonga, Bimba, and Lunda. Just for an example. African people must embark on a task, and I mean African people, also blacks in the Americas, an African language to help themselves see the world view that's in the language to communicate. In other words, we all have to, re- we have to rebuild ourselves. We have to reconstruct ourselves. We have to meet the challenges that lay before us in order to get out of the mud like a car is stuck in the mud and is spinning the wheels. We have to rebuild ourselves. And so those things are very important for us to learn African language. So I'll, I'll be attempting to learn other African languages in addition to Yoruba. I learned some Amharic when I was in Ethiopia. I learned some Wolof when I was in Senegal. And I learned some Swahili when I was in Kenya. So I'll be learning more African languages. Well, well said, Brother Warren. So, Nancy, uh, what's the take-home message? Wow, wow, wow. Uh, it's been a quite a very uh, educative um, session today. Uh, thank you so much for the panelists. Um, Brother Warren, I know you come from Zambia, so I know you are uh, learning Yoruba right now, but Zambia, we have about 73 <laughs> languages. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You need to learn my language. Lozi or Bamba. So uh, it's always a pleasure to be on this show. It's kind of like a mind boggling and uh, mind stimulating. So today I take away that we learned about psychological assimilation, cultural assimilation, deconditioning, and also what can I say? Just knowing that we cannot go back to the old practices, we need to move forward, we need to be well-informed, 
let's uh, read the books. I know our brother Warren mentioned about the same book, and Noah mentioned another book. So we need to get those resources and learn, and also do appreciate the culture that we have now, and not uh, assimilate other people's cultures. I know we've already been deconditioned, but we can still, you know, uh, embrace the little culture that we still have right now. So otherwise, it's been a very, very informative and very educative session, and I do appreciate being on this on this radio show. And Noah, what's your final take before we close? Oh yeah, yeah. No, thank, thank you, Nancy. This has been very effective. We do this show to empower, to share some wisdom. Of course, we have great minds like Brother Warren, who is very well versed with African history and just world history and civilization. So he, you, I consider him a, a blessing to have on our show because, of course, it adds a lot of value. So we do this show to uh, impress upon your minds that there is much to know to whatever you know, because there is always something that you can learn. So we try to share some uh, good information that you may not e- readily find out there. So uh, there are some books that uh, Brother Warren has shared. Of course, the destruction of the African civilization. That's the book that we uh, we are encouraging our listeners to listen. So for this evening, a culture. Uh, my t- my, what I want our listeners to learn is that a culture is simply a set of rules that a, a people live by to address their challenges or problems. You find solutions to your problem and you develop a culture. For instance, if you belong to the Seventh-day Adventist church, it's a culture that has its norms or values where they will say, you cannot eat pork. For instance, most people don't eat pork, but they will say you can eat this. So each culture has got its economic uh, value to it, where they will present or say we want you to be looking into this and this type of food. So usually there's always a means of production for whatever is being channeled or advanced by a, a, a group of people. So we have to look at culture from that perspective, that what is it that we can do to empower ourselves? When everyone is rushing to go and buy, for instance, the Louis Vuitton or the Gucci's of this world, you are empowering other people. Imagine everybody else is dressed in all kinds of uh, dashikis. You are empowering your own people. So you have to learn to support your local institutions as a people. Because when you support your local people, then the money stays within your confines or within your community. And then you create uh, jobs, employment, and things like that. That's how people uh, grow. That's how people uh, become economically free. So we wanted to just to share some thoughts on culture, that the culture that we have right now does not uh, benefit us as a people. So we need to figure out what is it that we can do as a people to better ourselves. So uh, hopefully you have learned something. There's a lot of wisdom coming from Brother Warren. There's a lot of wisdom coming from Nancy. So we just wanted to share these thoughts 
and to encourage our people that there is a better life out there if we can trust each other. So that has been my take on this show, just to encourage our people to look within ourselves. The, the solutions to Africa's problems are not out there. They are within ourselves. So it's up to each one of us. This is why there's that song by Michael Jackson, look in the mirror to find solutions and answers. You don't cry to the West and ask for aid. Look within yourself so that you can come up with solutions. So a culture is simply a way in which people advance themselves and protect their interests. So hopefully this has been very helpful and fruitful. So we'll be meeting again next week at the same time, discussing a different topic. I don't know if Nancy, do, do we have any suggestions what we should talk about next week? Well, I have to think about it. I don't know whether uh, Brother Warren has a suggestion. Um, I know Brother Warren. May, yeah. May is a mental month, mental I think. Health. Mental oh, health, so okay. we can look into mental health. So I'll check in with you during the week once we come up with, I kind of suggest several topics and then we can choose from there. But mental health is another good topic to discuss, especially during the covid and I know oh, good, our brother Warren did mention about uh, the mental health issues that affect the African-American people, and we have high suicide rates among us, the men. We need to find out mm-hmm. why that is the reason. Yeah. Okay, yeah. In, in 10 seconds, brother Warren, any suggestions for a follow-up topic for next week? Oh, no, I'll, I'll just follow what, uh, what Nancy suggested. You, you see that, uh, you know, could be, uh, you know, of, of importance. Oh, good, good. All right, so thank you, our listeners, for yet another exciting show. So we conclude with this beautiful introduction song that we usually play. This is Kelly Kumalo singing Imperi. So join us next week at the same time. It's bye for now, and thank you for joining us.
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.